Welcome to the Upper Left Performers Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson. Before we get into the show today, I wanted to take some time to remind you that you can download my Quadrant Training ebook and purchase my Quadrant Training Sprint program. There are links to those in my bio on Instagram where you can follow me at Jack underscore Anderson III. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jack Anderson III where you can find some of my latest musings on the field of strength and conditioning. Today on the show, though, we are joined by Mike Tucker, the head athletic performance coach at Villanova, where he is in charge of football. Mike is an up-and-coming coach that has really made his mark on the Villanova program as he enters his third year with the team. And in our discussions prior to this podcast, I've really been impressed with his thorough understanding and knowledge of the central nervous system being the center of uh, performance and how he tries to dose his training in accordance with maximizing the CNS outputs uh, on, on the correct days. So obviously he's running a high-low model in the football setting uh, and we get in-depth on how he's able to pull all the right strings at the right time, both in-season and out-of-season, uh, managing all the different loads that are going on for his players, uh, both you know psychologically physically, and then also technically, technically and tactically. In the episode, we also discuss speed development for college football players, change of direction versus agility, and when to use each one, juggling and consolidating stressors in an in-season model where football is obviously the top priority, and the importance of periodizing warm-ups so that they don't, rem- so that they d- don't become stale. For anyone in a position where they have to handle a lot of programming for many different teams, this is a really great way to understand the importance of each of the physical elements that Mike is trying to develop and how to fit them into a program where time is of the essence. Um, I really appreciated Mike for coming on and sharing these thoughts. And of course, he has done a great job over the last 12 weeks of quarantine putting out some tremendous content, uh, which you can find on his Instagram and Twitter pages. Those links will be in the show notes, so make sure you check that stuff out. Mike has done an outstanding job and has been a great resource for many coaches, including myself, over the quarantine period. So thanks a lot to Mike Tucker for coming on, and here he is. Mike, thanks a lot, man, for uh, hopping on the podcast. Really appreciate you uh, making the time on this holiday weekend to uh, come on. Coach, appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be here, um, so let's get rolling. Absolutely. Uh, just for the listeners, just give a little background on, uh, on who you are and. Um, just a little bit of your, your career path. Yeah, sure. So um, th- going on my third year here at Villanova, um, prior to this, and I just work primarily with football. I assist with track and field a little bit. Um, prior to this, I was an assistant athletic performance coach at San Jose State. Uh, I was an assistant with football there. I was head baseball, women's basketball, women's volleyball as well. I also got my master's while I was out there. Prior to that, I was at Clemson University as an unpaid intern with track and field and baseball primarily. Um, and prior to that, I was actually the head strength coach and defensive line coach at Kutztown University. It's a small D2 school in Pennsylvania um, where I made hundreds of mistakes. Uh, but I really appreciate having Jim Clements for a head coach there, you know, allowed me some, to have some autonomy in the weight room. Um, Great learning opportunity, but very, very difficult and fun. Um, prior to that, I was at North Dakota State with uh, Jim Kramer in the weight room for the North Dakota State Bison football team. And then I played and coached at Holy Cross, uh, which is an FCS school up in Worcester, Massachusetts. And Jeff Oliver was the strength coach there. He's definitely been a mentor of mine. So I've uh, been a lot of different places in, in a short amount of time, but it's been a great experience and worked under some great knowledgeable people. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I can't say enough for the the variety of experiences. I kind of been in the same boat and um, it really, I think, gives you a much better understanding of every situation you're in, like going forward when you have that much. That's, that's really cool, man. But, um, but yeah, so let's dive right in here. I think the, some of the stuff you're doing, uh, you know, at Villanova with the football team is, is really next level. I think it's, you know, we sometimes get caught up, I think, at least when I watch like certain, you know, head strength coaches for football in college present. And it's like, it seems like everything is kind of very cookie cutter and the same from program to program. But I think you guys are, are definitely shaking it up and doing some different things over, over Villanova. And um, firstly, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about just the high-low model you've implemented there. Um, and yeah, just go for it to share your thoughts, on, you know, basic bird's eye view of what, what you've been doing there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting here two years ago, um, there was a large emphasis placed in the weight room prior to 
our rival. And, you know, something one of my mentors told me is there's no squat rack at the 50 yard line. Um, so, you know, I'll tell recruits all the time, you know, if you squat 900 pounds, but you can't get off the hash, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, so everything we, we utilize and determine is based off the fact that performance is the key indicator. Playing sport is the most important thing. So every decision we make is based off of playing sport. Now, that being said, right, we want to, one, increase performance, two, reduce the risk of injury. Um, so those are our two driving factors. So what are your KPIs for that? So when we look at our eight-hour NCA split, um, a lot of coaches will go, you know, six and six in the weight room and two on the field. Um, we're pretty much year-round and even four and four split. Um, so we utilize, the like you mentioned, the Charlie Francis high-low central nervous system model. Um, and, you know, we utilize vert vertical integration as well in that. So um, we essentially always have a low CNS day preceding a high CNS day. So those low CNS days will consist of our aerobic work, our extensive work uh, in the field, um, our low motor unit recruitment um, stimuli in the weight room. While our high CNS days, I'll just tell our guys and our guys will call them our money days. They know those are high output days that are sprint, jump, throw, and our, and our big, big movements in the weight room. So um, like I said, it, it's really just taking the sport and performance in the sport and then reverse engineering it. Um, and driving and basing our program based around that and then just structuring in that high-low structure. I love that. And um, I think when you, you look at how you've done it throughout the season going four and four, that, I think that's pretty, pretty crazy and impressive that you're able to convince a coaching staff for that. Did you kind of already have that buy-in like going in with the staff or is that something you had to work on establishing or how did you kind of get that to come about? Yeah, it, I think the relationship piece is really big because a lot of sport coaches come from the ideology of bigger is better and more is better. Um, you know, and in reality, it, it, we're looking for the, the optimal dose. People use the term minimum effective dose, which, which I utilize as well. Um, but we're looking for the minimum dose to elicit the maximum adaptation. Um, you know, your 900 meter sprint probably isn't going to be the fastest. Um, so like thinking of it like that, we don't have our guys sprint hundred meters, but thinking of it like that, you know, what adaptation are you looking for? And then how do you stimulate that? Okay. So if you're doing two or three fly-ins on the field, like, is that enough? So, and we're constantly questioning and, and going back to the research and kind of evaluating our own program in that regard. But yeah, it was, it, it's all starts with relationships with the sport coaches because you need their buy-in and the kid buy-in as well. And then results speak for themselves a lot of times. So, you know, you may not get a ton of buy-in initially. And then if, if you continue to have success throughout then you're going to increase the buy-in, obviously. Um, was a, did you have resistance like implementing any of this since it is not going to look like on some occasions the guys are going to be quote-unquote working hard, you know? Yeah, yeah, so I think that ideology a lot of times stems from a lack of knowledge. So, you know, when people view – you know, a guy standing there after a 30, a 30 yard fly in. And it's like, Oh, well, why isn't he working? It's like, okay, well, he just did one of the most maximal intensity, max money recruitment, max muscle coordination stimuli possible. Right. Um, in, in a sprint. And it's like, okay, if we want to maybe make him tired, like, yeah, we could jog back and go again, jog back and go again. But if we're after that true 95 to hundred percent max V, all right, let's look at what we're after. He needs to rest and recover at least a minute for every 10 yards. So that's kind of our benchmark traditionally. Um, so how you structure the workout a lot of times kind of hides those rest periods from sport coaches if they're out there. Um, but you can also have fillers with mobility and things like that to kind of work with the guys as well. Yeah. Um, when you're, when you're putting this in though, so I'm really curious, like when you got there and you wanted to like implement this system, did you receive pushback or was this something like coaches were, were fine with from the start? Um, so I think with, in regards to initial pushback, um, like I said, prior to me, and I'm not going to speak ill of any program, but For sure, yeah. prior to me, they did one out one to two hours in the field in general. And it was very basic um, gasser oriented, I would say um, from feedback from players and coaches. That's what was told to me. So kind of seeing how specific we get with each position, kind of seeing how, and, and just explaining why, like the, this generation, they want to know why. And if, if you as a strength coach can't say, Hey, this is exactly why we're doing this at this time of year. This is why the work rest is like this. This is why we're doing this many reps, right? That that's an issue. So I think just coming from a point of like, Hey, being really open, like this is exactly what we're after. And this is how we're going to get there was, was really eye opening for the, for the players as well. 
um, because I think prior it was kind of just not not done that way, um, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. So, um, you know, you're always going to have a, a spectrum, like a standard deviation curve of people with buy-in. But um, I think if you're open and honest with the process, I think it goes a long way. And now you've said you've been there for about three years, right? Going on year three. So I, I believe it's a little over, I think it's like two years and a month right now. Okay. So have you seen kind of as things have gone, I'm sure obviously like you said you're always, uh, you know, looking to evolve your model and everything, but I'm sure the basic tenants remain the same. Um, what kind of changes have you seen, um, you know, just from that in general? And it could, it doesn't necessarily even have to be KPI related. If it is, that's awesome. But um, just in general with like the culture of the team, you know, around what it is that you're building there. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Cause you know, as, as any, as any coach comes into a new program, right. You don't know how you'll be received. Um, and I think, you know, being yourself is the first, first and most important thing. And then just allowing the, letting the players know like, Hey, this is why I'm here. I'm here to help you get better. I'm here to help you succeed on and off the field. Um, I think that open and honesty is huge, you know, and understanding that the cultural shift that's taken place in the weight room has been uh, tremendous in that regard. And I have the entire, you know, football staff, uh, football team, and as well as the entire staff at Villanova um, that, you know, helps uh, Sean Doherty, Colin Mashton, Kevin Miller, Matt Ambrose, they do a tremendous job um, helping me, you know, instill a great culture in, with our guys. You know, I think culture is one of the most overused and cliches, cl cliche uh, buzzwords in the industry. But um, I do, I, I know for a fact that ours has shifted in a positive manner. 100%. So I have nothing but great things to say about all the people who have helped me achieve that. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. I think, um, you know, I, I, for me anyways, like I've been putting together all my quadrant training stuff and I've tied in, uh, you know, and, and from a global perspective of consolidating stress, trying to create an environment that the athlete perceives as like safe and um, not safe in the sense that we're not applying any stress, but mm -hmm. safe in the sense that they can go to work uh, unencumbered by, you know, just issues that might be, you know, going on in their lives or within the organization or, or, or program or anything like that. And I think like just setting up an environment as you have um, is, is really key to that. Like when you're, when you're the nervous system is King, right. And I think we're going to get into this right now, but the nervous system is King and, and it's not just training loads, which, you know, is obviously a huge part of it, but it's also, like I said, just perception of the environment. And I think if you can, if you're, not perceiving an environment where you can perform at your best, it's going to highly affect like what your output can be on a given day, you know? Yeah. Without, without question, psychological safety, which you kind of just hit on is, is really a key determinant with that, with that cultural setting. And that, that stems from me being, Hey, it's, it's okay to mess up, right? If it, if it's not a lack of effort, if it's an execution thing, like we'll fix that. Right. And that starts with me having a sense of humility and being like, Hey man, noticing and, and being vocal with the guys like, Hey, I screwed that up. Like I'll be better, you know? And showing that vulnerability, I think, is really important in kind of establishing um, that culture from time to time. But, yeah, like you said, that um, the central nervous system is king. So, you know, if you look at that Fergus Connolly four co-active model, right, technical, tactical, psychological, physical, um, you know, all, those, all four of those factors, right, will create the same, a similar stress response, right? Cortisol will be released, right? It'll shift from parasympathetic to sympathetic. So as we look at that, right, in understanding that, okay, how can we consolidate our stressors to a high stress day, low stress day? So potentially we can um, super compensate and, you know, actually recover. So we can not only not just execute on those high CNS days, but perform optimally. I think that's something that, that, um, you know, I've kind of gone back to is in saying like, okay, maybe a five ten five on Monday and a 20 yard start on Tuesday. Those are, you know, similar stressors, but um, are you really able to perform on a two, on that second day? If you've done high CNS workload, you know, not just one rep, but if you've done a, a true high CNS, uh, training session on that Monday, are you primed to perform on that next day? I would, I would say no. Yeah, no. And I, I think that's great. Now, now in the off season, obviously, um, despite the fact that you guys keep like a, you know, a four and four split, like you were saying in the off season, I think at least in my mind and what I've seen, like we have the luxury of strength coaches to apply more stress, correct? Like we can do more things to elicit a response on those high days than we can on the in-season days. So, uh, you know, maybe you guys do it a little bit differently and you're able to keep the outputs really high in the weight room in season too. But I was wondering, like, first, if you could take me through kind of just what an overall week might look like for you at, um, in the off-season and then how that compares to what you guys do in-season on a week-to-week -week basis. Yeah, sure. So um, 
we'll always start with a low CNS day, um, coming off that two day off day to, you know, set some sort of muscle tone. Um, some people will argue and say, Hey, that's going to be our, our max, max velocity, you know, highest input day. But in reality, what are your guys doing those 48 hours? Um, and are they truly primed up ready to perform on that Monday? So I want to get some muscle tone in there. I want to have a low CNS training session. So let's just talk like maybe June here. Um, Monday, Thursday will be our low days while Tuesday, Friday will be our high days. So we'll start one hour on the field in both of those. So Monday, low CNS, one hour on the field. And again, that can be aerobic tempos. It could be extensive indie. It could be grappling drills. Um, it could be extensive med ball work. There's a ton of different variations we'll utilize within that low CNS field work. It just depends on the time of year, obviously. Um, and then we'll transition into the weight room and then the high CNS days will have themes. So, um, Tuesday will be our a cell day while Friday will be our max V day. So, you know, our med ball throws will look very similar. Our plyos will look very similar and our starts will be very similar. It'll be strength dominant horizontal vector. Um, so longer ground contact time. So from, and I stole this from Altus. Um, and so from a learning environment perspective, you're sending very similar signals and themes. If you're going from a jump to a throw to a sprint or, you know, whatever variation you're doing. Um, you're sending very similar themes from a learning environment, but also from a physical stimuli environment. So then a Friday, our max V day will be a little less ground contact time oriented, a lot more elastic driven, um, a lot more max velocity, upright, uh, vertical impulse driven. So that's kind of like how we'll split up that field work session. Um, and then in the weights, it, it's very similar. So we can go, you can go up or lower split as long as the intensities aren't anything crazy or you can do total body all four days. It just depends on what intensities you're working with, what exercise you're working with. Um, and that stimuli as well. So will you in the off season, then on your low intensity days, uh, in the weight room, will you do like, I don't know, like maybe some sort of like, like metabolic circuit work or something that might be very sub max that you can recover from really easily. Or are you guys still like getting after it? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a common misconception is that people will say, Oh, low CNS means easy. Um, and if you ask our guys, right, the difference between a tempo or, you know, maybe some extensive field work and then like our sprint work, they probably prefer our sprint work because they get a ton of rest um, versus the other way around. They don't, they don't as much. And then in, in the weight room, you know, you can do a, a ton of different exercises, right? You could do, like you just mentioned, a metabolic circuit. Now in the sport of American football, where in maybe in the wintertime, depending on the position, we're trying to um, you know, accumulate load, increase the work capacity. It's probably not going to, um, be like a huge indicator for us. So, you know, we're still doing a, uh, lifting session and it's still difficult. Yes. It's just, okay. We're just being a little more careful with what type of exercise prescription we're going to involve. Um, so we won't have any axial loading generally. Um, it'll be exercises chosen with a little less motor unit recruitment. Um, but it, it's still like when you go in there, it's not an easy day versus a hard day. It's just, it's just dosed out a little different for exercise prescription and uh, selection and intensity. Gotcha. Okay. Now, now moving into the in-season portion, uh, what, what changes? Anything? Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, stress is holistic, right? So right now our football team will practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we don't have like a quote unquote, no sweat, you know, Thursday or no sweat. Like you've, you've seen that model out there. Um, so it, it's not an ideal model currently. Um, so that's just continually working, continually trying to get to a, a true high-low model in season, which when you get into sport practice and having those relationships is really important. So it's, been, it's, it's gotten better year after year, and we're continuing to improve on it. Um, but Sunday, right, again, some people will squat Sunday because you need to, quote-unquote, flush out the legs. And, like, I don't know how you feel after a game. I, feel t I felt terrible when I played um, after the day after a game. So um, the, the key thing about the season is the game. So that means Tuesday practice is really important. I want you to feel really, really good for Tuesday practice. So Sunday is going to be a low CNS day recovery emphasis. You know, we'll do some auxiliary, we'll do, you know, some auxiliary flush work. We'll do a ton of recovery modalities in order to try and get them ready to practice on Tuesday. Cause again, if they're, if they're limping into a Tuesday practice that their technical, tactical, psychological performance is going to be inhibited as well as physical, right? So, um, you know, I don't love the, the heavy lifting on Sunday model for, from a central nervous system standpoint. Um, and then Tuesday will be, you know, our main strength day um, for us. Um, we keep the volume very, very low in season. Um, and I think that that's allowed us to be successful um, with having, you know, Tuesday be a main strength dominant day for us. And then Thursday is going to be a power dominant day. So 
those are both gen all three of those lifts are generally total body. It just depends on the dose, right? So, you know, uh, me sitting here saying an air X pad, single leg RDL, um, you know, body weight on a Sunday, that that's a, that's low CNS, right? Because it's not a high intensity versus, you know, uh, maybe a overcoming ISO or a rear foot elevated split squat on a Tuesday. That's a lot different. Um, so again, both are lower body, but, um, from a central nervous system perspective and a stress model, um, they're two totally different stimuli. What's your, how does your practice structure go and which days are the hardest for you? So two, so our team loves uh, practicing Wednesday. Um, for Wednesday is a really tough practice for us. And then Tuesday um, is kind of a, a, a lighter day. So we'll go like generally shells, uppers, shells, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and depending on this, and this is what I'm trying to get into, even changed more over next year is marrying up the special teams with it. So when you look at like the Fergus Connolly model, it's like the high force, um, high strength dominant day. You know, that's going to be your close, your close chain, your inside run. Your, your small sided um, special teams periods. And then like you have the high speed day, which will be like a lot more open field, a lot more seven on. So trying to get into that model more so as we continue to develop uh, this, this process and this protocol, but we're, we're, we're always trying to develop and improve. So, you know, it's nothing happens overnight. Um, and that's, what's been really rewarding about this process is kind of seeing day after day, having positive changes and then just building those relationships off of that. So I'm curious, then you, you say Wednesday is your, is your heavy day now. Um, and I'm not questioning this. I'm actually just curious for myself. Um, I would try like hell and maybe this is a bad thought, but like, I feel like I would try like, and I don't think you can go Wednesday, Thursday with like the lift structure that you want, mm -hmm. but like, I would try like hell to have like my force dominant heaviest day in the weight room to match up with that Wednesday if possible. Is that like an ideal thing for you? If you could get things like moved around or would you not go that route? No, I, and, and exactly like we kind like we've kind of said multiple times, like you want to marry those stressors. So mm -hmm. it, right now our, all models are incomplete, right? In our system, we're trying to evolve and adapt it in order to meet those demands. Um, I do, I, I, like you just mentioned, I wouldn't like Wednesday, Thursday, back to back. And I, I don't love a Sunday, Wednesday lift split either. Cause I want to have my hands on the guys more often than that. Right. I want to see them three times. I want to make sure they're feeling all right. Um, and, and you know, Sean Doherty and I talked about a microdosing approach as well. Um, he did that a lot with men's lacrosse. I did that with, um, football in the spring ball. So I, I, the more often we can get our guys in the weight room, the better. So our, we have guys in there on the Wednesday doing extra stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it, when, when we're talking about all these stressors being constant and, and marrying them up, I think it is re very important, but you know, we're, we're working towards it. <laughs> I hear what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, No, it's, it's, it's so hard, man. Cause I'm actually like putting together something right now for a, for a baseball team mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there like, I mean, yeah, I would love to have this be on this day, but it makes no freaking sense because the next day I know they're playing, you know, so it's not yeah. gonna, it's not gonna, and, and I had another lift, you know, penciled in on that day. So obviously, yeah, it, like, it'd be amazing if you go up to your football coach and be like, hey, can we like have Tuesday be a really hard practice? <laughs> and uh, so we can, we can match things up. But like, yeah, again, like, it's very interesting to, to think this way, because I think you and I think very similar, similarly on it. But sometimes like the schedule just doesn't allow it to be like the exact way we would want it to be right yeah exactly and then like taking it a step further like okay what's what's the um what's your significant other doing what's the test schedule like so these are all these different things <laughs> yeah. in global load management that we have to consider and we're quote unquote responsible for but we have no control over which is very challenging right like we have no control over their 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 class schedule we don't really have a control over a meeting schedule um because you know at the end of the day the sport sport is king so we do have to have to kind of play off of that um can we educate the sport coaches absolutely but there's there's so much involved so yeah a lot of unknown as well no and that's that's awesome i'm really glad we're talking about this because it's making me feel better about my you know my stuff because you know i speak probably a bit too dogmatically in the ebook that i wrote about this and now that i'm like actually like hands-on putting some stuff together i'm like oh it just Sometimes it just doesn't quite work the way you want it to. So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, now let's dive in a little bit deeper into your sprint stuff. So sprinting is obviously probably my favorite thing. And mm -hmm. I love that you're breaking it up into to XL and, um, and Max V. Uh, what are you, how are you progressing? Like, are you, when you say Max V, like especially early on in an off season period, mm -hmm. what is that? What is that going to look like to you? Because I, I think you've said before you do short to long, correct? Like in terms of your approach. Yeah. So like in a, from a general sense, we go short to long. And then 
Um, I've actually talked with Nick DeMarco about this over at Elon. Um, we will utilize chain sprints um, for, for our max velocity day to take away the speed decrement. So some people will be like, oh, it's not true max velocity work. Well, okay, we can say that. But what the reason I really like them is they'll give you an upright posture and they'll expose that hamstring to high velocities. Is it a 99% if there's a 10% speed decrement on, from that chain sprint? Absolutely not. But if you are, say, a 10% speed decrement on a fly in 30 with a 20-pound chain or a 10-pound chain, right? Now we're exposing that hamstring to upright sprinting with a, a slightly decreased intensity. So when you do go hit that fly in maybe week three, week four, right? You don't have to start at 10 yards. You can, you, you've just exposed them to upright postures, upright running, teaching mechanics, as well as um, that hamstring musculature to max velocity sprinting. So now you can kind of hit the ground running with those uh, more elongated yardages. You know what I mean? I don't want to sit here and spend all of January and February under 15 yards. Um, you know, cause like Ken Clark's done a ton of great research and I think it was like 86% of their max velocity. Certain guys were hitting at 15 yards, but right. We want to, we're looking at 90, 95, like we want to get up there now um, or not now, but as soon as possible. So I think you, you utilizing that modality of the, the chain for that reduced um, intensity for speed has really allowed us to kind of expose them. And then we can kind of take it off and, and hit the ground running. Have you ever played with doing like, like you were referring to like early on in an off season period, like both days being within that 10 to 15 yards and working your way up from there, like over the course of the months, or have you always tried to make that max velocity day a little bit longer in terms of just like distances traveled? Yeah, I think from a teaching perspective, if you're looking at, if you're looking at, okay, what are, what are our big KPIs in the field, right? A cell max V agility, right? Those are our three. So like, how do you go about teaching it? How do you go about exposing them to stimuli? So like year one, right? Probably was a little more conservative because the guys hadn't been exposed to max velocity sprinting in the, in the program previously, right? Year two, they know a lot of the teaching tools. So I feel a little um, better from a teaching environment, progressing them at a faster rate because the freshmen, when they come in are also in like a speed school. So, you know, they've caught up. So now everybody's had a quote unquote off season of, you know, our speed development curriculum. And now from a teaching environment, um, we can progress at a, at a better rate because the kids at least know what it is we're looking for. Now, practicing and executing is a different story. So, right, the learning process is messy. Um, so when, when you say, hey, would you go short to long on both days? I mean, yeah, but I also want to expose them to that max velocity stimuli. Now, is that saying, hey, day three, right, let's say Friday week one, we're going to hit a couple 40s? No, because one, it's super cold in Philadelphia, if you guys, <laughs> if you didn't know in January. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but having the um, having that chain allows us to hit those yardages, um, just a little bit decreased intensity, but their intent is still extremely high. Yeah. So it's different than a wicket run or a tempo where it's like, okay, I have to self-manage my intensity. It's like, hey, you're going to go fast and we're going to coach you after each rep. Um, but you're going to, the intent is there to run fast. So how does that work? Then the, the, you mentioned the coaching piece. I'm curious, like, what are you, what are some tricks you're picking up? Cause obviously like the, the coach to, to athlete ratio is probably pretty skewed. Um, you know, just being in such a large group, what are some things you've like picked up and found to be helpful in terms of like getting your points across, like very simply and succinctly to a big group? Yeah. So we have um, generally three to five coaches on, on the field with us, um, which has been really helpful. And then I've talked to some coaches and they'll have, you know, their, their guys in a line and they'll say, okay, ready, go. And everybody will, will go. And it's like, okay, I know me, I'm not skilled enough to see more than one or two dudes at a time. Um, so we like, when we're doing our max velocity work, we get in a single file line um, or we'll waterfall and those, and the dude like where one guy goes, the next guy goes, but they don't go until the dude's done because we have to see every rep as coaches. And if we're not cueing or at least a lot, giving them the environment to figure out um, what it is we're after, then, then we're doing a disservice to the athlete. So <clears throat> from a coaching perspective, I think it's really important to drill organization um, as well as obviously the cue and feedback base. So, you know, as we talked about those themes of the day, right? When we introduce, Hey, okay, we're going to go into starts. What do we just do? Oh, we just did a quad dominant med ball throw or a horizontal jump. Okay. What was the theme there? Oh, it was push. What do you, what do you think we want you to do here? And everybody's like push. So um, Nick Winkleman's done, done a ton of great work on the language of coaching and giving those, the athletes, the autonomy, um, giving them external cues. I, I agree with, you know, 90% of the stuff he, he, he writes about, um, I think is, is incredibly important, but you know, I ask a lot of questions. Um, I think that's really important because I could sit up here and explain stuff, 
but if it does, if you don't understand, it doesn't matter. No, because so I ask a lot of questions and it's like, all right, does that make sense? They're like, okay, yeah. All right. We'll say it back to me. Uh, uh, all right. Well then it doesn't make sense. And I did a poor job of explaining it. Um, so I, I'm always making sure it makes sense to each individual athlete, the goal we're after. Yeah. And I, I, th- I agree with that hundred percent. Like for me, when I'm, when I'm watching people sprint, like I have my few things that I know I, I like would like to see. Um, I might like once I, I know the athlete understands them, a lot of it's just what he or she is feeling when they're doing them. Like if they understand the concepts, then it's just more like, how did you feel on that one? Oh, I felt fast. Okay. Did you feel that happen? Yeah, I did. Perfect. Okay. Like let's move on, you know? Um, yeah. And I and think that's, that's awesome. Like internal versus external thing. Like, so you can say, Hey, strike the ground as hard as you can, or, you know, knee up toe up is all you want, but like, that's an internal cue. So like saying, you know, your foot's the, the hammer, and your, the ground's the nail, like giving them external cues like that, or it could be a, a learning environment deal where like, Hey, we just need to get them through their wickets. Like you mm-hmm. get them through the wickets. Like they've been backside their entire life. Me telling them, Hey, get front sides, not going to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. So putting them in a learning environment to elicit the adaptation that we want is, you know, there's, there's no one like, people will be like, Oh, here are my top two cues for sprinting. It's like, all right, well, you know, I think there's a general framework. Sure. Um, but I do think it's a little more complex than that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you, cause sometimes it's a, it's a learning process to figure out how the person's going to best respond. You know, like sometimes it's using context, like you said, from something you've done previously, somebody else needs to like hear a whole freaking story, you know, <laughs> like, like it really is. It's crazy to, to just figure out the learning styles for each person. No, and that's, that's really awesome. I think that's, that's, you do not have an easy job when it comes to that, just with how many athletes you guys have to have eyes on when they're doing this stuff. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And that, and that's why the staff, like making sure the staff is aligned as well as the players, like, Hey, this is what we're after. You know, um, the, the alignment of the goals and, and executing the goals this is how we're going to go about executing them is really important. So even our bigs, like they're like, wait, we got a sprint. And it's like, yeah, man. Like, I think Tony Hall wrote an article about it, like all the bigs in the 2019 NFL draft, like the first round bigs were, were the fastest dudes, like the O-linemen. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not necessarily who has the biggest bench, believe it or not. Uh, it's the ones who are the most athletic. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, you, you look at like your Trent Williams, your Orlando Paces from back in the day, like they're breaking four nines, like they're mm-hmm. coming close to it. Like, yeah, that's a huge – actually, that, I'm curious. This is another thing I was going to ask you. <laughs> Based off that, do you use any tech like free lap or any timing gates or anything like that throughout the off season just to kind of shake things up or give, get an idea of where guys are at like every month or something? Yeah. So we'll, we'll like rank record publish. We'll, we'll utilize an electrical timing system, uh, nice. electronic timing system. So when those come out, like I think I talked to Ryan Grubbs over at Liberty about this, when those come out, guys get a little anxious. So getting them exposed to it more frequently, I think is important. If you do it once a month or once every, you know, three months, it's like, Oh, Oh crap. And then they'll, they'll tense up, right. Their necks will get all tight and their fists will ball up and then they'll run like crap. Um, so I think the more exposed they are to it and Hey, it's just another day, right? Like our max testing or whatever, excuse me, our max testing. Like we don't have a, Oh, week eight is test week. Like, no, it's just another day for us. Like, so that high low model kind of allows that on the field and in the weight room. So when we're quote unquote PRing, like I'll just put it at 95%. Hey, you feel good. All right, go hit one. And they'll be like, all right, cool. And it's like, Hey, we just did an hour of field work. And now you're just hit like a 20 pound PR on whatever movement. Right. But it's just another day for us. It's not, we don't go in there and, you know, deload for an entire week. We'll, we'll just hit it just like it's another day. Yeah. I think that's tremendously important. Um, just to constantly have environments where you can see market improvement. Like maybe it's even like once a week for some of these guys, like if they're just really feeling it for a stretch of time. Yeah. Um, I think that's huge. That's huge. Cause that's the other thing too. If you plan for all these, like these max out weekends and stuff, or, or weeks and stuff like that, uh, especially in the college environment, like you said, like when do those weeks usually occur? Like around their most stressful, like educational periods, you know? Yeah. So it's like, well, this doesn't seem to add up very well from mm-hmm. what we've just been talking about, about, you know, the global perspective of the stress. Yeah. And, and from even like bringing it back a little more basic, like I don't want to waste a week as like, Oh, this week's a deload week for us. And we will, and we'll like, everything's going to be like condensed and like relaxed. And it's like, okay, I understand that we need to deload to some capacity, but like to say, Hey, today, Tuesday's a bench max out day. Like that's all we're doing. It's like, what, what are we doing? Like we're not training power lifters, you yeah. know, like there's yeah. so many other K- KPIs. So when we like test bench, like we just did an hour of field work prior, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just what we do. Um, you know, and our guys still PR or still get stronger, but, uh, you know, I guess that's, that's our philosophy is like the bench fest isn't, isn't the key to success in football in my opinion, but 
I could be wrong. So who knows? No, I think you're, <laughs> you're probably right. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you guys use GPS too, like record top speeds or no? We, we do not. So that's, that's kind of the next, next step, right? You know, being at the FCS level, not, not an ideal scenario for, for a number of things. So I know some programs have done like tremendous work with it. And, and I think the, the quality of the, the data obviously is in, in the analysis and in the implementation. Okay. Hey, here's what the acute chronic workload is. Here's what the max V speeds we're hitting. Here's how many high speed effort bursts you hit. But some people just collect the data just to say they collected the data, um, which I don't agree with, you know? So, Hey, here's our acute chronic workload. You know, between 0.8 and 1.3 is where we want to be. And if you spike over 10% in a week, you're probably going to get, you have a higher likelihood of injury. So, Hey, we're at 18% spike from week one to week two. That's too much. And the coach just nods and said, all right, well, that's what we're going to do. Well, it's like, okay, well then why am I collecting data? You know what I mean? Um, so I think that so when it's used really well uh, and really effectively, I think is when it's, it's stimulating conversation and allowing coaches to, um, you know, make alterations to the practice plan or the training protocol. Um, but when it's just like, oh yeah, we collect data so we can collect it. I, I don't see much validity in it. Yeah, yeah for sure, man. I, I completely agree with that. My last question on the sprinting is um, just related to like, okay, we talked about all these fancy things that we can do. We could time, we could do whatever. Let's say uh, we have a coach on that's listening right now that doesn't necessarily get to utilize those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of coaching, et cetera. And this might be more just me like hopping on a soapbox, but you feel free to chime in on, on this. But like, if, if we're in that situation, I still see a tremendous benefit for sprinting just because the simple act of just, I've even noticed, you know, in some athletes I've coached with like minimal feedback for them, just the simple actions of sprinting in general is going to improve so many things like we've already talked about. And then two, I mean, we're just building up a capacity so that when we get to the, uh, you know, the, uh, the preseason period where the workloads go up a ridiculous amount on the <clears throat> sport load side of things, we've at least done our due diligence and prepared them at higher speeds over larger volumes at the course of an off season to help try to prevent injury. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny to say that cause I was talking to a coach and he's like, okay, what do you do for hamstrings? I'm like, all right, well we sprint. And he's like, okay, well we're afraid to sprint. And we had 16 hamstrings. I'm like, okay, well I'm just thinking in my head, it's like, okay, so week one, when that wide receiver runs a fade ball, that's like his first exposure to high speed effort. Right. In yeah, a game, since, you know? since December or something. Yeah. yeah so yeah. <laughs> like the more, and, and it's like anything, right. They have to be exposed to stuff. And when they're not exposed, guess what? They're going to, they haven't built up a robust uh, or, or injury resiliency. So we need to continually expose them to those high speed demands, um, which, which I think is, is critically important. And we kind of avoid those middle intensity zones at all costs. Yeah. And that was one thing I did have, uh, on, on the, the question list as, as well as those medium intensities. And um, obviously it sounds like you've done a good job avoiding them, but um, you know, just for the listener's sake, why, why avoid those medium intensities? What's kind of the, the reasoning behind that? Yeah. Um, well, I think when you, again, we talked about reverse engineering the sport, you looked at the sport of football as an alactic aerobic sport, right? All three, all three energy systems are kind of prevalent at all times. Right. But when the game of football is a four second effort, a four to six second effort, right? 25 to 35 second rest. All right. The average game of football is 72 plays, 12, six play drives. So I got to get you really, really good at six, four second burst with a 30 second rest in between. And then you get like a 10 minute break, right? So when you look at that and it's like, okay, I got to prepare you for four seconds of work six times. And then I got to repeat that four times a quarter, right? Um, or three times a quarter, excuse me. Five three hundreds doesn't really like make a whole lot of sense when you're running 58 seconds with like eight cuts. Um, you know, and recruits will, uh, I'll ask people, it's like, okay, when was the last time you saw somebody run 53 yards and back like a gasser? And it's like, oh, well, never. All right. Well, if you've never done it in a game, why would you like, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to train it in my opinion. Um, again, so that's kind of why we avoid those middle like lactic zones. Like if I get you from a four, six to a four, four or four, five, right now I've made sub max running easier, right? You look at the Derek Hansen speed reserve, um, instead of getting that guy who runs a four, six, just get really good at running at 80%. Cause that's for your, what you're doing, right? You're getting him really, really good at operating at 80%. Well, a corner who runs a four, six at 80% is probably not going to be very good versus maybe a four, even a four, six corner running 99% is going to be a little better. Right. Um, but if you, if you're running 80%, you're probably going to get beat. Um, so we're, always trying to increase that a lactic ceiling. And, and then we have, we build up that speed reserve by doing so. Love it. Um, 
Yeah, those medium tensies, man. It's just kind of, and also like, I feel like you want to go back to the nervous system side of things too. I mean, completely leaves your nervous system in a position to not really do well on higher output days. And like you said, you've never had higher outputs when you're, when you're training that way. And, and I, doubling down on that, I think you see this a lot in certain sports. Um, there's such an emphasis on it. It's not an efficient system, right? Like it's not a system that's going to allow you to uh, sustain repetitive efforts at high outputs in the, in a, in a sporting competition, like especially in the field or a court sport or something like that. And you see these people with this over-reliance on it. Like when I watch them in everyday life, like they don't know how to get parasympathetic. They don't know how to move very well because they're constantly using compensations on top of compensations in order to, to operate because they're so fatigued all the time and they're, you know, playing their sport or whatever, because they're using this, this glycolysis for everything. I, I don't know if that's like an observation you've seen too with some, yeah. some sports, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing, right? Oh, like yeah. the, the, the mat drills, the, the grind, the working hard, I think we're trying to, you know, educate and kind of shift away. And it doesn't mean we're working any less hard. It's just doing different things. Um, and like you go back to Israel's like workload compatibility model, like, okay, if you're doing glycolytic training, like you're probably not going to be very compatible with max velocity training. Um, so like, what do you want to get better at? Do you want to get faster? You want to get really good at running 80%, like pick one, um, you know, and like people say, Oh, well they need to get in shape. Well, like we can have an aerobic system to develop that quality. Like they're not, they're not jogging, um, back and forth and touching the line in between the snaps, they're standing there. So stand there and recover with your aerobic system, right. And, and make that robust enough so you can recover in between those high lactic bouts. Will you do any lactate work at all as you approach preseason? we will touch it maybe two days and I use the word touch. Um, we will touch it maybe two Fridays, um, to quote unquote, prepare them for practice a little bit, um, okay. just with some repeat sprint ability efforts. But you know, if I'm sitting here saying, okay, maybe three Fridays in July, we touch it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, if, if, if 362 days a year are high, low, and we touch that medium zone three days, to get some repeat sprint ability um, with different patterning in order to prepare them a little bit more for practice. Um, you know, I'm okay with that. But as we get into July, we're doing a lot more agility, a lot more competition. And then we'll, we'll go out there and we'll do a ton of seven on seven stuff, um, you know, without me. So I'll go out there and I'll warm them up and we'll do our speed work. And then it's like, all right, you guys have your seven on seven. Um, so that's kind of, and I'll tell the QBs like, Hey, hit some up tempo stuff. So they, they get that in practice. And like when they go out and they run their routes on their own, that's what they're doing. They're doing that. Um, repeat sprint ability often so yeah um, we're trying no, to fill I think the that, gaps in other places I think that's great because if you, it's like to me my my line of thinking is if your practice structure is such where they might be getting into that zone I at least want them to fe have felt it a little bit mm -hmm. at least a few times but I mean Joel Jameson's even said in his book I mean is you know very limited ceiling to train that you'd only need like it seems like a lot of what he puts out there is like four four five six sessions mm -hmm. in a you know in a what, like a month period. And it sounds yeah. like you're pretty close to hitting that. So, you know, you probably are hitting that with like your seven on sevens and everything. So you've kind of like done your due diligence there, so to speak, you know, for yeah, whatever think, your practice structure is. I think if you stick purely a lactic aerobic, I think if your practice is a lactic aerobic, that's like optimal, right? Cause you're preparing <laughs> them for practice. Yeah. But there's a lot of repeat sprint ability in practice as we kind of know with, with the go, go, go culture. Um, so, you know, we're trying to touch upon that to, so, you know, they at least have been there before get some adaptation from that. Yeah. Now you mentioned, um, change of direction and agility. Mm -hmm. Um, what's kind of, so to be honest, this is something that like, I don't dip my toe into the, the water all that often on. And I'm kind of curious what maybe your basic principles are for that and how you would uh, like start and where you'd progress to. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think that um, the strength and conditioning community like may be divided on this a little bit. I think there's people who do pure agility stuff and they say, Hey, pre-planned cone drills, you know, don't have any merit. Um, and some people only do cone drills. Um, so I think when we look at like the spectrum of those two, like ones at the one far left, ones, the one far right. And I'm like, okay, all right. So our model will be, we'll do change direction, close chain, like your quote unquote cone drills. Our guys never touch the line because I don't think it puts them in an optimal position. Like you look at the five themes of change direction. There's been a ton of really good research on it. Touching the line is never in there um, with their hand. So our guys will always, we're trying to look at joint angles, right? Ankle, knee, hip, quote unquote, be the hashtag, make sure the head turn, the hip turn, all that great stuff. But when we look at change of direction, 
right? We're laying down stress, we're teaching, and we're laying down um, fascial lines and tissue qualities. So now we're stressing the tissue in a more specific transverse plane dominant movement. Okay. So now I don't want to put them in an agility setting and agility would be an open scenario where it's chaotic. Um, it's reactive where a cone drill would be change, change direction, um, close pre-planned. So kind of want to just like make sure we understand the separation between the two. Um, so I don't want to put them in an agility scenario where they've never been taught it, where they've never um, laid any tissue demand down or any stress of the tissue. I want to make sure that's that's at least taught in a structured environment and then applied stressfully. And now as we get closer and closer to the season, like the COD stuff kind of phases out, right? We shift more along that spectrum towards agility training. Um, so that's a lot of seven on seven, a lot of reactive drills, um, a lot of a lot less pre-planned because we take them through that OODA loop, the observe, orient, decide, act loop. If we're waiting till August 3rd and for them to get in a, in a scenario where they're going through that loop, that's an issue. Um, so we want to take them through that loop and we can train that. Now, uh, where are you putting this in your, uh, like what days are you putting this on? <clears throat> yeah. So early in the off season, when it's a lot more extensive, that can go on the low days, right? If we're doing more teach stuff, extensive hops from Altus, right? We're laying down fascial lines in a transverse dominant plane. Um, we're doing extensive COD work where it's a little more teach dominant. If you have a younger team, those fit in great on the low CNS days. And as the stressors accumulate and as your intensity increases, <clears throat> that change of direction has to be on your high CNS days. So um, as we're doing more fast paced change of direction drills, higher intensity change of direction drills, that'll all be on our high CNS days after the A cell or after the max V. Um, <clears throat> and then as we get into agility in like the June and July's of the world, as we approach August camp. Um, that will be, you know, a little more predominant and a little more emphasis placed on it. So, you know, I don't think that should be in the background if it's like, Hey, tomorrow, this is really important because it's day one of camp. Well, like day 29 of training, it probably shouldn't be the last thing on your day then. You know what I mean? What, um, this is kind of backtracking a little bit. It just popped in my head. What's kind of like a volume of sprint work you would like to see your guys at before, uh, like a, a training camp? Is there a number yeah. you have in mind or? Well, it, and it depends on it depends on what team you are, right? Because it depends on what environment they're going to have at the camp or at the uh, game day. Yeah. So it really depends on position demands as well as team demands and like what kind of style offense or defense you guys run. Um, because you pretty much take that base number, whatever it is, and it's like, okay, I know they're going to have. Let's say back to the model for college football. I know you know week one is seventy-two first, right? It's twelve six-play drives. So okay, I got to prepare them for that with practice, and then it's the conversation with the sport coaches saying, Hey, this is how practice should be structured in order to prepare them for that. And it's like, all right, we keep working backwards. Okay. This is what July should look like. This is what June should look like. Um, I think, I think as a culture, we always think more is better, which I kind of touched on earlier. Um, but, but in reality, like we're not doing, um, you know, thousands of yards for our high CNS work. We're not, um, you know, when you break down the game and look at the GPS and like I said, we don't have GPS, but a lot of my, colleagues in the community do um and i'll ask them for their data and they they're fine sharing it it's like looking at how many yardage they cover it's like okay they have five thousand yards in a game or six thousand whatever that's like all right well how much is low speed running how much is walking how much is high speed running how much is true like max you know above 90 percent because you look at max output versus operational output like these dudes are in helmets and shoulder pads they're going up against the db like they're very rarely going to hit that true max output i don't believe they will right in that they would in you know with with shorts on and a laser, right? It's a little different environment. Um, but I don't have a true like, Hey, this is how many, this is how many yards or how many sprints you should get for you. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, that's fine. I, I was, I was more curious along the lines of like, wanted you to clarify, like you're never hitting like a thousand, maybe I, like I, I would doubt you're even hitting a thousand yards in the session. Like for me, I know like even my own training, like I usually keep mine, like a high, a high volume for me on like one of those days is like, 400 to 500 yards and i'm I'm yeah i'd say that's like very high for us yeah that's very high for us and then like our low cns volume that's totally different so our tempos that's that's a lot more high end on the volume spectrum um and then one one thing regarding that um that that i think makes us a little different in regards to our tempo work we we do not stay in a linear fashion for our tempo work whatsoever um i think people look at that gps data and they'll say, okay, well, we have to get an extra thousand yards in to match the GPS. Well, in reality, that D lineman is doing long stick redirects 10 times in practice, you know, running 10 hundreds isn't going to prepare him for that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think all yardage is created equal in that regard. Um, so we do a lot of multi-directional tempos. 
Um, and we're trying to train the aerobic musculature as it's going to be used in contest. Um, so a ton of transverse tempos, a ton of game simulator tempos. Uh, that's something Sean Doherty kind of um, brought from one of his previous stops. So we, we get very um, creative with our extensive field work um, because we, we want to marry it up as best we can to the demands of the game. Do you guys do any like curved running at all? Yes. So yeah. we go okay. extensive to intensive with our curve running. Um, you know, we'll do it with dials or med balls and then we will progress to, I think Kier might've posted it a while ago. might've been to Marco. Um, one of the CAA guys posted it and, you know, doing it against the bag. Like if you, if you envision yeah. a guy running down on punt against the bag. So when then we added two cuts off of that. So we did like the curve run. Okay. You get to the cone, stop playing on a dime. You got a cut either direction if a coach is pointing and then there's another cone and you got to cut either way off that. So now that's like our quote unquote sport volume. As we get closer to the game, uh, we don't want to just run, okay, here's an ACL drill and here's a COD drill or an agility drill, right? Like we want to marry it up and make it more chaotic, more of environments similar to what they're going to see on game day or at practice. Will you individual now, obviously by position, I'm sure it sounds like this is happening, but will you individualize, especially for your like maybe more, um, maybe more like, or I guess like more higher output guys, let's say, will you limit the amount of volume they do? I don't know if you listen to Joel Smith's latest, but one of his latest podcasts was Ross Jeff's talking about mm-hmm. how some sprinters, and again, this is elite sprinters, so different, yeah. different subset of humans basically, but, um, yeah. but some of them just do not do well with really almost any volume and you really mm-hmm. want to like limit the amount of tempo work being done. Or do you see that in your like maybe like high end, speed guys where where you try to limit the amount of volume they're doing compared to everybody else yeah yeah I think knowing your team is really important for that so um like you mentioned like so what we'll do to kind of counteract that especially on our high cns work is we'll be like all right today's two to three reps like hey you hit one and you I think I got it from Matt Raya during this quarantine like tight tired or bored I think was how he split it up um and in one of those three like then he knows to stop um, which I hope to implement after this. I think I, I really like that, how simplistic that model was. Um, yeah. I might, I might be butchering that, but I, we'll always give a range. <laughs> Sounds for good. <laughs> yeah. We'll always give a range for our reps though. So, Hey, uh, you hit two. All right. If you feel good, hit a third, you know? And like, if you hit a third, like that's awesome. But like, if you feel tight, who cares? Like you just hit two really good reps above 95%. Like you're, you're getting three to four minutes rest. We're hitting, you know, thirties or forties, like why push it and why hit a third? So having that relationship with the coaches is really important. Um, and our guys, I think do a really good job of understanding that. But sometimes when the sport coaches are around or something like that, like they don't want to, they don't want to look like they're sitting out and kind of changing that mindset for the athletes like hey you're not soft if you sit out a sprint like that's optimal for you right ideally we all have a set rep set uh rep set yardage prescription for each guy but you know in a team setting it's not really like realistic yeah Um, yeah so you know giving them autonomy over their decision making i think is huge and and having that like having that relationship be like yo it's fine like you hit three don't you don't need to hit a fourth great job like you're done (laughs) and then just stand there like go get water cheer on your teammates like it's cool no i love that um sorry i'm bouncing around a little bit that just kind of like so back (laughs) onto the bounce back onto the the change of direction and agility Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one question for you on that. And again, this is, I, I apologize. I try to keep it all questions, but sometimes I have like tangents in my head and I want to get it. them out there. So um, I'm curious what you, what are your thoughts on just deceleration or um, st- like uh, jump landings, like, you know, landing mm-hmm. progressions, like the basic landing progressions that I know you see some coaches or it's actually quite, quite common. I think nowadays like to see coaches yeah. doing that. Um, I've been thinking about them a lot recently and I just want to get my thoughts out there and see if you've thought about this or agree or disagree. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it, like where we just go into a cut and then we just stick the cut and we don't come out of the cut. You know, I don't, you you know, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I I find that to be like a little bit like counterintuitive only because like, I understand the need for like us to absorb force. That's very important. But if we're not absorbing the force and then doing something with it, I don't feel like it replicates sport very well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times people are like, might see someone stick, uh, you know, a landing and they're like, Oh, he wasn't very stable when he stuck that. But to me, it's like, okay, he was unstable, but like just providing more stability or more rigidity necessarily help him, uh, in the sport or, how about we extend that collision? So like, I'm a big fan, for example, of instead of like doing single leg bounds with a stick, 
doing single leg bounds, like a mini, like a little mini bounce in between and then going to the next one, because now we're kind of quote unquote, extending the collision with the ground. Yeah. We're finding like optimal positioning and then coming out of it instead of just sticking and ending the, the movement mm-hmm. there. Does that kind of make yeah. sense? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head there. I think when you look at it, I think there's a bandwidth for like, okay, when you see somebody stick a landing, like, are they totally out of control and you need to <laughs> yeah. them, right? Like, yeah. there's a bandwidth of acceptability, right? And and so when we're looking at that, like deceleration, like anything, is a skill. And like, if you would completely ignore it, we're probably you know on the wrong side of the spectrum. But if you if you only do that emphasis and everything is a stick, you're probably also on the wrong side. So like you said, having fluidity with, with your movements, I think it's super important. And then when you land and stabilize, okay, but where are you going with that force and making it more specific to sport, obviously, as you get closer and closer to season is extremely important. Um, so I, I agree with, you know, kind of everything you just said. Yeah. I, I hate to be that guy that's like so far on that end of the continuum, but in this case, like, and again, I could be swayed because this is all kind of like stuff I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. But like, to me, I'm like, if I just see a movement end with like, a stick and that's it. And then we go back and do it again. I'm like, that just does not happen in sport. Like yeah. we go somewhere else afterwards. Like mm-hmm. if we, now I agree with you and I love what you said about the change of direction thing. Like we can use these things maybe to teach a specific angle, but I want to move away from that as quickly as possible because otherwise we're just teaching someone to not be athletic upon ground contact. And yeah. Something else, you know? And I think, and I think like one, one area where we as coaches can do better, including myself is the warm up is like, if you're doing the same warm up in January as you are in June and then July, like you're like, I think that's a great window of opportunity to keep progressing. Like you have a squat progression, you have a sprint progression. Like why not progress the warm up? Like the A skip that you did in on Monday, January 15th should like, that should be like a lot different than in July. In my opinion, I think we can get more complex. We can get more specific. Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a, you know, however long your warm up is 12 to 18 minutes. Like there's a window of opportunity there where we can challenge these guys more and more. Right. So if you look at the warm-up as a place not only of like assessment, okay, are my guys ready today, but also like an opportunity to lay tissue adaptation and create change, um, I think is is kind of been a shift in my mindset in the last couple of years. Yeah, I absolutely love that, man. Um that was that was gonna be the other thing I was gonna ask you is about the warm-up. I know we talked about it before we we hopped on the show. Um yeah, man, I'm I am i am in complete agreement with that. Anything to keep the athletes engaged and focused, and again, like back to the nervous system, how can we keep them uh, you know, kind of almost thriving. And I think if we pull the same warm up out, you know, over and over again, that can be a problem. Like for me, I've been in situations where I will do that. And like, to me, then what can I do to make it better? Like while we're going through that, we got to have a conversation. We got to have some fun. We got to do something. There's got to be something to shake it up uh, to get out of the monotony uh, that that environment can create. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And that's where we'll try and sneak in some of those agilities. And I know you mentioned like some of the tumbling or crawling stuff we'll do. We'll, We'll put those a lot of times at the end of our warmup as because you don't really want you, okay, warm-up's over, here's our workout starting. Like it should be very fluid and like you don't realize when it stops and when the workout when the training session begins. Yes. So um on our high CNS days, that's where we're kind of implementing a lot of our agility as a as a primer or you know, segueing into that high CNS drill work, just a couple reps, stimulate the nervous system. Um in our low CNS days, that's where we've utilized a ton of crawling, tumbling progressions. Um, to, you know, increase the collision. I know Andy Ryland at USA football has been a, been a big influence in me in that regard because everybody has a, a progression for all these things, but like uh, <laughs> wrist, elbow, shoulder, how are we progressing the collision of sport? It shouldn't be two days helmet, two days upper, and then the fifth day, okay, let's, we're, we're ready, full pads. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're always looking in that regard too and trying to progress from there as well. I love that, prepping the offseason for collisions. That's something I don't think about too often. I haven't worked with football in years, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Dude, Mike, this has been great, man. Thank you so much. Um, where can the people find you? Any projects you want to promote? I know you do a weekly thing on Zoom, like whatever you want to talk about here, have at it. Yeah. Uh, so that was just during quarantine. So now that we're like progressing out of quarantine, hopefully here in, in July, that, that, that was 11 weeks and that's done now. Um, so that was a good run, but, uh, anytime anybody wants to get in contact with me, feel free. Uh, I'm putting out stuff on my Instagram pretty regularly now. Uh, I thank Morgan, Morgan Petrucci for making me an Instagram and forcing me to get with the 21st century. But, um, so at Tucker Mike 43, uh, feel free to DM me, um, or, or reach out like very open to conversation and talking. Uh, I'm a big nerd about this stuff. So I'm always trying to get better and improve my craft. And, you know, I think you've done a tremendous job with this podcast series. So I'm really excited to kind of be on and, you know, hope nothing but the best for you moving forward. 
Absolutely. You're on Twitter too, right? Uh, yeah. Villanova football is on Twitter. So it's like Nova FB underscore strength, I believe. I think that's our Twitter handle. That was Dude. something that was also pushed. My hand was pushed on as well. So <laughs> I got to I gotta get it all in for you, man. Yeah. I, mean, I know you're on there. I'm like, you can't sell yourself short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a big social media fan, but I'm trying to be more, more uh, receptive to it. It's funny, dude. I, uh, I really up until quarantine was the same way. Like I had it, but I wasn't like using it for like what I'm using it for now. And, mm. um, yeah, man, it's been, we talked about this the other day. Quarantine has been kind of good to us in the sense that like, we've really kind of gone out there and, uh, you know, tried to create a little bit of buzz around topics that matter. So, yeah, no, I, th- I appreciate everything you're doing for the field, man. This is awesome stuff. Uh, thank you for having me on, man. Hey, thank time. you. Keep doing what you're doing. That was super informative. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you.